Hello, welcome to episode 6 of Into the Van, I'm Mike West. This episode is with Tom Ward. As a comic artist myself and a comic writer in the most loose term possible, I've brought out two anthologies with my friends under Coglife Comics. But as someone who's brought out comics in the UK indie scene, you know, the network of people and the wealth of talent in that scene is just mind-blowing and Tom Ward is one of these people that truly stands out in this crowd he's had Merrick the Sensational Elephant Man as his standalone title run a ton of successful kickstarters and built a fan base and a following off of this one book and one character and it's just developed I think it's up to issues 12 now with the most recent kickstarter and it's truly an amazing feat so not only am I a fan of the book but also his insights into Kickstarters and crowdfunding and building a fan base through those ways is really interesting. So whether you're a musician looking to crowdfund in your next album, whether you're a comic artist or a comic writer wanting to do it, whatever you want to do to build a fan base and most importantly cover costs. As a musician, I've always managed to keep my costs down by either selling comic books that I collect, artwork, um, and then it'll be pre-orders and things like that that'll help try and make me at least break even so there's a ton of different ways you can create things and manufacture them and yeah there's going to be a cost involved but if you can somehow downsize that cost through pre-orders or crowdfunding why not in this day and age you know everyone's independent everyone's struggling no one's getting that type of major label help anymore so you really need to look at unique and interesting ways in how to bring in this money and minimize the risk for yourself and I think that's something that not a lot of people want to talk about because everyone has this idea of musicians as being the artists the tormented souls who are only there to create art and music but if you want to get your products at the end of the day into the hands of people who will dig it you need to create physical products and you need to be able to market those things and unfortunately in this world there's a cost involved in that so to sit down with Tom was really interesting to talk about the comic industry as a whole there's been some fluctuations in that due to the COVID crisis with the way Marvel and DC have handled it and how they've been in trouble themselves so you see more major artists and writers actually go into the crowdfunding platforms which is a really interesting thing to look at so me and Tom chat about that Tom is a really interesting guy he's really opinionated in all the right ways he believes what he says and says what he believes and that is something to be admired merrick the sensational elephant man you can get the first copy digitally for free if you go over to merrickcomic.co.uk m-e-r-r-i-c-k comic c-o-m-i-c dot co.uk and you'll be able to get the first one free see how good a book it is and then you can pre-order a trade paperback from it you can buy the single issues and it is really worth your time and energy as a comic fan i always try and push comics to people who may not be a fan of them they're such a rewarding experience if you like reading books if you like watching films there is a comic out there that would suit you i know a lot of people say it's not for me that's because you know the avengers and the marvel universe has been this massive cultural shift and a lot of people still think that comics is superhero based which you know a lot of it is with marvel and dc but with the independent publishers or the smaller publishers like Image or IDW, there are so many incredible titles out there that you will definitely find a comic that you'll fall in love with. This episode today is brought to you, of course, by me, Mike West. 
the pre-orders for the next life have been really amazing. I've been so thankful for people who've pre-ordered and put their trust in me. I'm currently waiting for the test pressing, which should be with me at any point at the beginning of June, which I'm so psyched about. And to actually get to have a physical copy to play is gonna be fucking unreal. If you like to pre-order and want a sample, I'm gonna put a track now. What if we slept all day and loved all night? What if we ran away to a peaceful life? All I'm asking, all I wonder, all I'm saying. And I really hope you dig it. If you want to pre-order The Next Life, you can go over to mike333west.com forward slash store. That'll take you to my Bandcamp. And then there's a ton of different options and bundles that you can pre-order The Next Life. There's including vinyl, CD, digital, all the formats. I've got you covered. So, Tom Ward, the comic rebel of the UK industry. This is a really interesting chat about crowdfunding, comic books, music, everything else in between. I love chatting to this guy. He's been a wealth of information and just such a friendly guy at Comic-Cons and whenever we've met. And I really hope you get something out of this, whether you're a musician, an artist, whatever you want to do, this is the podcast for you. So Mike West and Tom Ward, into the van we go. Welcome to Into the Van with me, Mike West. Cool, so I've hit record now, so all socio-political and Marxist comments are off the table now. Let's, let's keep it let's keep it above board. <laughs> but um <laughs> how how long's left on the Merrick Kickstarter now? 52 hours. 52 50, hours. So yeah, Saturday night, 8 o'clock it finishes. So yeah. So this is going to come out in June. So will it be available to buy outside of the Kickstarter once it's finished? Yeah, the minute I um, the minute the Kickstarter finishes and I get the files off to the printer, Rich, mm. I tend to put like a pre-order up on the web store, oh, cool. uh, which is uk. So you can just kind of, pre-order and then that stuff goes out with the kickstarter orders yeah. um just you know if you don't want to sign up for kickstarter you can just kind of like buy stuff through paypal or whatever oh awesome i'll put that as a link because this i like i did a podcast with john slater like my mate from cog life and we were talking about you because there's always there's this issue on twitter now and there's this debate about like the comics industry dying because of like diamond like going under and the big two being under pressure but I was saying it's the same thing as if like punk can't die as long as there's some kid playing a guitar in his bedroom. Yeah, of course, 
Like, so like the comic industry isn't going to die. It's just going to change in a way. And we use you as a prime example of that because you've created this following through this book that you've completely independently published and created. Thanks, man. That's like, it's high praise. Like, <laughs> but um, I mean, just say when I was a teenager, man, and Napster came out and people mm. were like, oh, Nap- Napster's killed the music industry. It's like, I mean, look, music's bigger than it ever has been. Like, surely, like the internet, just it, 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 as far as I can tell, it just kind of levels the playing field a bit. You don't need yep. to be in the know or know someone or have the kind of capital to kind of get yourself noticed and have the kind of marketing budget and PR. You can just do it from the grassroots, can't you? Like, Diamond going under, like, it just it just means there's only one distributor. It's not there. Like, you can still distribute books yourself. Like, you can still send books to shops. You can still yep. send it straight to customers. It's uh, It really doesn't affect any. It's like, I think, so when you see people talking... They talk about the comic when they talk about comic book industry, it is like they're talking about the music industry to me. Mm. And it's like when you when people start trying to talk to me about like the big two and diamond and all that, it's like it is trying to talk to like the descendants about like the latest kind of like boyzone record yeah. or something. It's like yeah. it's a completely different thing, isn't it? It's it's when you do things independently, I'm I'm so unconcerned with like the mainstream main way of doing it because it's so far away from what I'm doing, it just doesn't affect me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's a lot of people are like, it's the end of comic books. And it's just, they're the same people who think that like, it was the end of the music industry when it came about because they only listened to the mainstream bands. But if they scratched the surface and actually did a, like, a, not even a deep dive, but they just looked outside of their own arse, they'd see what was available to them already. But um, with Merrick, so let's go through your origin story and how Merrick came about. Because it's this, is this nine and 10 or is it no one's a double figures? Nine, ten, and eleven, but we've nine. also done the uh, the crossover issue yep. and the trees one shot, which is kind of like a double length. So, although it's got kind of double digits on the cover now, we've kind of been in double digits for a while. But mm. it's nice to kind of officially be there as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I've got the trade, and I've got the last three issues, which I think goes up to seven. Or Five, six, seven. Yeah, yeah. So how long? So when did Merrick start? What year did you guys put the first book out? First book came out on February 2014, mm. so it's been a while. Like, mm. um, like we were working on that probably for a year before it. Mm. So I had the, I had the script ready for a while. Um, I think it was the first kind of full issue Luke had done, and mm. we just kind of didn't put like a deadline or anything on it. We just finished it because I knew I wanted to just give it out for free mm. uh, as a free download. Um, so yeah, we just got it ready, built the Kickstarter page because I'd, I'd seen Kickstarter. Um, and it just really piqued my interest because yeah. I saw like the thing about comics as well is you can kind of you can gauge the general quality of a comic just at a glance, which yeah. is probably the kind of media is is best for that. Like you, you can't look at someone's prose writing and be like, "Oh, it's probably going to be good. Or it's probably mm. going to be bad." You can't look at like a film. You can't really judge it, but with comics, I, I feel like you can really get a good grasp. And the stuff I was seeing on Kickstarter. I was just like, this looks great. It looks just as good as anything else. Yeah. Like, it's awesome. Like, people are doing this. And I was just seeing all the people and I backed a few and I got some good books. And I was just like, this is, like, I could do this. Like, I've wanted to make a comic. This is the this is the ideal way to do it. Like, why wouldn't I do this? Yeah. Um, and so that's, that was always the plan. Take it to Kickstarter. And mm-hmm. I've kind of, I kind of did figure it would fail. And it was just like a bucket list item, you know, do a comic book and, and I gave it out for free, get as many people to read it as possible. And like, I was happy with that. We Like, that was cool. 
mm. and then got it in print and then we did the next three and I was like, oh, this is wild and just kind of just keeps going. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Nice. So where did you meet Luke? Was that an online thing or did you meet him at a con or? Yeah, just um, writer seeking artist, artist seeking writer kind mm. of message, like con yeah. message board back in the day. Um, I had someone else signed up for it, um, but they got picked up to do some like game design work or something. Oh, yeah. So um, they backed out and uh, yeah, I'd given them like a deposit and they gave me that back and, and went, you know, separate ways. Like a bit of disappointing, but you know, it, at least, you know, it could have gone worse kind of thing. Yeah. Um, at least I didn't have like half a book and like paid someone a load of money and then they just disappeared or something. So that yeah. was good. Um, and then I kind of, I had all the scripts done and it just kind of put me off a little bit. I was on a bit on the backboard, back burner, just kind of doing other things. And then I just saw Luke kind of posting his portfolio to other people's ads. I'm just like, this guy would be perfect for this. Mm-hmm. Um, send him an email. It's like, you know, it's like a little bit of a pitch. Like I've written this. It's kind of like this. Like, I think you'd be cool for it. Do you want to have a look at the script? Like, I kind of wanted to take it to Kickstarter. What was the initial pitch? Because I know if people are listening to this and aren't uh, familiar with Merrick, what would you describe Merrick as? What was the initial Um, pitch you pitched to Luke? I can't remember what the original pitch would have been. Um, Probably been along the lines of kind of like a like a pulp reimagining of the elephant man as a superhero, mm. but not like a superhero. So kind of using the same conventions as like superhero comics, but turn it into like a Victorian kind of pulp, mm. you know, more, more like an old school kind of thing than yeah. kind of what we think of as like modern superhero comics. Now, I think now we kind of like lean more into like, almost like, I want to say like bronze age kind of mm. superhero comics kind of thing mixed with like the kind of pulp penny dreadful vibe that we've got going on. Yeah. I know it gives me like um, Tales from the Crypt kind of like when DC and stuff were doing like that 70s like yeah there's definitely like yeah there's definitely like a horror vibe it was it was always supposed to be like we kind of moved away from that but it was like a horror pulp adventure Mm. I just wanted everything that I liked in it and now we've got to the point we've done so many issues like we've kind of gone in different directions and done different things so you can do a bit of horror or you can do a bit of this or a bit of that and I think that's the fun now is that because we have got like the fan base now and, and the kind of back issues and whatnot that we can go in different directions and we've got like a world that we can tell stories in rather than just limited to one story. So that's, it's quite fun. Like we can do anything. We can do like a horror story, we can do just like a, an adventure story, a mystery, like a detective thing. We, we can just really mix it up. Mm-hmm. Cool. And what books were you reading prior to writing Merrick with any like main influences from comics or was it like, did you draw from other places like, film or prose or um just look probably just like a big mashup of lots and lots of stuff um comics wise i was like really into um i was reading so much like brian k vaughan stuff and um robert kirk and i was just reading like i just love runaways i was just reading it all like re-reading it rereading it and why the last man walking dead Mm -hmm. i was reading i was like i was well into all that but I'd read so many superhero comics as well, you know, just over the years, you know, Spider-Man, Punisher. Uh, but, but weirdly, like a lot of that doesn't really come into like what we've been doing, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, there was one, one comic uh, that was kind of like a, like a touchstone point that like me and Luke would talk about. And it's, um, it's an old issue of uh, Legends of the Dark Knight. Mm. So I had it in a, a Batman like, uh, I'm trying to see if I've got it on my shelf. No, I can't see it. It's, um, yeah, 
I didn't realize it at the time because I, 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 I was kind of at a point where I didn't really put names to, to you know, writers or artists. Mm. I, I just kind of like the series, that kind of thing. Um, but it's a Mike Mignola Batman story um, where Batman is investigating these kind of incult, occult murders um, and he catches the guy in the middle of this ritual and he, um, stuff happens and he ends up in like a ghost world in like a crypt. Yeah, And uh, that just really stuck with me. And I think that was kind of like the vibe mm. I wanted to go for, like kind of Victorian crypts and like, you know, weird Victorian magicians and wizards and secret societies yeah. and stuff. And obviously Luke's a massive Mike Mignola fan. So he, he knew exactly what I was talking about straight away. And he was like, oh yeah, I really like that issue. Like, um, actually the, uh, the cover to Treves is actually a bit of a, uh, that's, you know, yeah. our kind of take on it. I'm trying nice. to think. It's like it's it, it's Legend of the Dark Knight issue 77 or something. It's it, it's a great single one. Mm. Got it somewhere, but yeah, I'd recommend checking that one out. That was probably like our touchstone of everything. But other than that, you know, Indiana Jones is like yeah. a huge kind of influence on it. That kind of the world beneath the world that most people kind of don't know about. And yeah. you know, it's weird. Like I've been thinking about this. It's weird that like I kind of think Indiana Jones is an underrated like film for what it is because I'm, I know it's obviously Harrison Ford and it's like the peak of his career, but there's a lot of story and subject matter and how it's done. That was really influential, but it kind of has been not overlooked, but kind of not given its due in terms of its aesthetic and things. Yeah. Like it's huge, but like it's still underappreciated. Yeah. Like when you watch them films, like if you try and list off the story beats in like an Indiana Jones film, holy fucking shit. It's like <laughs> stuff, 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 stuff. Like, Temple of Doom starts off in like a Chinese restaurant in a casino or something with these mobsters <laughs> and then they escape and get on a plane and then there's a plane crash and then they see these people in a village to tell them about this like cult and then they end up in a, like, it's, and that's like 10 minutes into the film. It's insane. Yeah. But like that, I always think about that now as well. Still when I'm doing stuff like that's the level of kind of stuff I want in, mm. in an issue and in a book. Cause like, you watch films these days, you don't get that. Like, there'll be like a few beats. Yeah. Like, I want like beat, 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 yeah. beat. And then I love, and I think that's what I love about like Indiana Jones. And there's like the old Hammer Horror and like the old B movies where like the Incredible Shrinking Man, he gets hit by the, um, like the powder or whatever in the first five minutes. And they don't ever explain what, what really happened to it. They just go, this is what's happening. Roll with it. And a lot of films, they need to, like, they always think they need to explain it. So the first hour is leading up to what's actually going to happen. And that's what I try and do with comics and things is it's just like, just straight away, get into it and get the action rolling. Yeah, I think that's my personal, I I would say my style's got like more compressed as as we put out more issues. Like the first story arc was like four issues. Mm. And now I think I would compress that down even further because I think I was kind of probably influenced by the comic I was reading at the time was all stuff where it's like six issue story arcs and it's kind of written for trade. And like, mm. that's fine. But like when we're paying for everything, our, you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, self-funding it and stuff. Yeah. It really is important to just get as much as possible on the page. Like I just want to be as economical as possible to the point where everything's just like, I want every, everything to have a point to it. There's mm. nothing, there's no filler. I just want it to be like, bam, 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 bam. And uh, that way, we can get more issues out. We can get through more story. I have, I've got like a, an over arc for this. Mm. The, the more like issues we put out and the more kind of we were building the following and, and the kickstarters were happening and it was like more and more likely we we're going to keep going. I was like, I want to get to the end of this now. Yeah. Like, it's not just, it's not just something like, okay, cool. Like we did that. That was awesome. And it is, 
but like it's like it'd be really awesome to get like to stick the landing with it thing yeah exactly if we could get to like 30 40 50 issues have a whole over arc like mm. that'd be wild so by getting more in obviously we can't produce 12 issues a year yeah. so the more we can put into an issue the more story ground we can cover yeah. and we can kind of get through it which is mm. not rushing but just making it as compressed as possible mm. and obviously people get more value when they're buying a comic as well yeah rather than just like flicking through it in five ten minutes it's like you know you've actually got a bit of substance to it yeah what's the page length is it 28 or 30 pages for depends yeah. depends completely issue to issue we change it because um we can mm. uh like issues five and six that story arc um it could have easily been three issues but it would have been like three issues with filler so i did two mm. 32 page issues um and then like the kind of because i really the thing about comics that i really like is like the episodic nature of it mm. and the ongoing nature of it so i think the uh like the little cliffhangers at like an end of an issue is super important to me i, I always think of stories in terms of, like the opener and the closer and throughout that arc i'll think oh this is a great opening this is a great close and i want that at the end of an issue because i wanted don't want to spoil things but like issue seven's got like a great end yeah, it comes into like a great end, for like issue eight. So I was like, when I knew this story, I was like, that has to be the end, and mm. this has to be the beginning. Mm. Um, so yeah, like like the Netflix shows change TV where they can just do whatever length they want. Mm. It's like I'm not bound by the rules of anything else, so we can just do whatever fits. That's so good, and I think that is such a great example of what the comics medium can be because people can do just single page comics that can have an emotional weight. And then the same thing can be done where it's like, well, I can do any length I want to tell the story I want to do. And it's just this like pretty much limitless format, a limitless medium that I really enjoy. Yeah, uh, it's it, the challenge of fitting yourself to, to, to you know, the, the same issue length every month. It's, it's got to be tough. Like it's, it's mm. a real skill for the guys who can do that and fit it. You know, your publisher says you've got this many pages for an issue, this many pages for the trade paperback. Like that's what you're doing. Mm. Like that's a skill to be able to yeah. land all that. But for us, I'm happy for every issue to be a different length, every yeah. paperback collection to be a different length because why not? Like yeah. cool. there's nothing holding us back on that. Yeah. So what's your writing style and your process for Merrick? So you say you've got an overarching plan, but then is that, does that change? And how do you, so how would you go about writing the issues themselves? Uh, mainly I think about story beats. Mm. So again, um, for the whole over arc, I had kind of different waypoints. So I had the beginning, um, a couple of important things that need to happen and the end kind of lined up. Um, and then I break that down into kind of like what I think would be arcs. Mm. And then I break those arcs down into story beats and then think about how they would fit in an issue. Okay. And then what I do is I paid, uh, I kind of like, break stuff down to pages. So I'll write one to 24, one to 22, whatever. Um, and I'll put the story beats on each page, see how it fits. Mm. And then try and write around. I basically, I kind of just get the, get the bare bones down, get a really good foundation and everyone else just fill yeah. in the, the blanks in between those kind of story beats. Cool, man. So like, cause I was saying this, like my kind of writing process for it, but I've not done nearly as many issues or as length as you is what i kind of do is i do bullet points and then those bullet points like numbered so they're the pages and then i'll go in and break that down and try and incorporate to make sure page turns count so it's like the different reveals and things and it's a really interesting 
way that people do it between like the planners and the overarching things to actually breaking down an individual issue. Yeah, that's almost exactly what I do. I uh, before I even start writing, I'll set a spreadsheet up, mm. um, and I'll put the page numbers. Obviously, and you'll be able to see which is, I know which is a left side, which is a right side, and then I'll put which beats I want in each cell mm. in the spreadsheet. I, and I often write like completely, um, like non chronologically. Mm. So I won't start on page one and work my way through to the end. Uh, I'll kind of look at the spreadsheet, look at the beats, and I'll be like, "Oh, what kind of scene am I excited about?" Mm. Like I'll write that, and, and the more clear I can kind of visualize it in my head, I'll get that down, and I get it down, and I'll be like, right, "Cool," and then I'll color that little cells in green, and then I'll move on to the next one. And if I get halfway through a page, I'll, I'll make it orange, and then I'll just keep cherry picking, and then I find I'm not just staring at a blank page trying to figure something out. Cool. The, the more I get done, yeah, the, the easier the rest is to fill in because mm. that'll often lead to more ideas and. Um, it makes it easier. I don't ever get stuck that way or that's the plan. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes and, I still get stuck. Yeah. And have you had the ending like written or planned? Like, do you, like, do you know where you're going to be landing throughout this or has it changed at all through your writing process? The ending is very solid. Mm. Um, but there's space to stretch or compress kind of thing. So we have had different ideas. Like, uh, I think the one we're on now was just, as I was writing the other stuff, I was like, oh, this would be great. Mm. And, you know, I've got like a sliding scale of stuff. I can't put extra stuff in or I can probably sacrifice some stuff, but there's a few things that need to happen and the rest is like, I can just do play with it yeah. in between. Um, nice. But yeah, I, I I always write for full story arcs as well. I don't, I know a lot of people write like an issue and get the artist going and then move mm. on to the next issue. Like, that's crazy to me. Like, I'd be such a mess. I'd paint myself into so many corners. Like, if I do the whole story arc, um, you know, I can put like foreshadowing in if something, yeah. I, if, if I find something and it's like, oh, that's weirdly like symmetrical or something, I, I can work that into it. I can, mm. I can mold the earlier bits to fit the later bits or fit the later bits to fit mm. the other. So I, I kind of like to be able to take a, a step back yeah. and look at it as a whole before I send it off. Like, ideally, I'd probably write like everything, but like, I just don't have the time to do mm. that. But like, if I did another long series, say, I won the lottery and I wanted to do like another 40, 50 page series. I'd write the whole thing yeah. and then, and then think about getting art done for it. But cool, man. I mean, it's probably like, it's probably not cool. It's probably like horrifically OCD or something. But like, <laughs> I think especially when it's like, it's one creative team, the thing obviously with like Spider-Man and Batman is there's so many creative teams that like swap and change that you can't really have this overarching thing without like one consistent editor for a long time. But to have such uh, like creator involved and create their own process I think it lends itself to that type of format where it's not just OCD it's like truly caring about how it's gonna go and not letting other people kind of dictate what's gonna happen oh yeah if you if if you're doing just like one one story that's the thing with like a lot of mainstream comics and superhero comics it, it's a bit like a sprawling mess like everyone gets mm. to add their bit and it just kind of grows outwards and bigger and bigger and bigger but with like the image books it's like a, it's more like a straight line, isn't yeah. it? Like it's it's kind of one direction and one creative team, or like you know, there's generally going to be a leader on the director mm. team because artists can change or writers can change or whatever. But there'll be like a, a definite direction, so it's a bit more like going one way rather than just growing. Mm. Which, like you say, it's just a, it's just a different thing. It's just a different yeah. vibe. 
Yeah, definitely. And with it being kickstarted and obviously you'd tailor conventions and things, what do you think the percentage of your audience has come from which? So do you think you've got a bigger Kickstarter and online following to conventions or do you think you pick up a more like more people at cons? Um, probably a bit of both, to be honest. Um, when I do cons, I do get a lot of people who come up and just say, oh, I've got the book on Kickstarter. Like, I really liked it. Mm. And it's really nice that they, they you know, go out the way and take that time to, to come and tell you that they've enjoyed it. Um, I think the paperback, once we got to the first paperback collection, that made conventions so much easier mm. because it meant we were in for a chance of actually covering our costs or even making a little bit of money. Mm. Um, that was just up to then. It was just selling single issues at a convention. It's just, it's fucking hard work. Like It is. Um, and it's it's almost impossible to cover your costs unless mm. you've got, I'm guessing, a lot. Um, but once you go to the paperback, I think people... It's different kind of readers, aren't there? And a lot of people go to a con, they see one paperback and we charge a tenner and that's just an, an easy buy for a lot of them. It is. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting the second paperback out because hopefully I'll do another round of conventions and, and that'll just kind of go out. Yeah, having a, having a volume one and two because I think that is the risk with kind of Kickstarter comics and those small press things is it can be a great issue one, but again, if it's only you know, 30, 50 pages at maximum, you're only getting half a story or like a fifth of a story. And then it's like, well, when's the next one coming out? And it's like 20, 45 or whatever yeah. it is. And then it's taken so long. If you've got like a trade that you can just have straight away with like a good chunk of story and it's so much better for um, a fan. Definitely. And it's like, like you say, so many books, they'll just, they'll just be a one and then that'll be it. Yeah. And like, it's, it's hard to make a comic. It really is. Like it's hard to make a single comic. And then once you, I think people have more, you know, when you've got more people are like, oh, there's, there's two issues. Oh, there's, you, you see it as, as you put out more books and the reaction is like, people are like, oh, one comic and then they'll be like, oh, two or oh, three. Oh, this has got four. Oh, there's a book. Oh, okay. And it's almost like, because other people have had faith in you to do that. Yeah. You get like a bit of a snowball effect. Mm. Other people become interested. Um, I certainly hope that's the case on Kickstarter. You don't see many comics up to like, issue 10 or 11 yeah. no, it definitely so I, gives it like that sense of legitimacy to it and that like weight to be like oh these are properly invested in this story in this arc it's got yeah it's got to be good to get to 12 issues yeah and there's going to be a payoff hopefully people think because that's i always try and keep each arc like you i try try and keep it so that if something did happen and we didn't make any more issues mm. like each because we do it by arcs, it's like you, at least you get a nice story. Like yeah. the whole thing might not finish, but like that was fun. This this mm. was fun. That was fun, and you can enjoy it like as its own sections as well. Do you mm. know what I mean? Yeah. And do you it's, have anything like in the event of it, your untimely demise that it gets released, so you've got an ending to it? <laughs> oh, should I? Should I do that? <laughs> like I've got I've got like just random scraps of papers like just everywhere, like old napkins folded up, like just notebooks scribbled in of just like the ravings of a madman. Should I put it in my will? Like my girlfriend has to release this to the world. Just schedule a post and keep moving it back every month or whenever to just be like (laughs) the last page of the book. (laughs) Yeah. The the final page of script, I'll I'll put it on a, um, on a kind of time post on Facebook or something. Well, with Kickstarter, you're one of the most, not like um, vocal, but you're a massive supporter of Kickstarter what do you think is the key to running like a successful campaign and actually getting people to get involved and engaged in supporting a new book? Um, right. So I like 
so many people at cons especially will ask ask about this and like i always tell them the same thing like i think kickstarters you don't have to overthink it like it's mm. quite simple like i think there's only a couple of things that can genuinely i believe would can make any book a success on kickstarter and that's like have a good quality book like look have it looking good as good as you can get it like don't like get if if your lettering looks a bit get a letterer it's worth mm. the investment um have a realistic goal like I'll, when i look at a kickstarter page now i genuinely can tell if it's gonna make it or not mm. and like first one is if someone goes oh take a look at my kickstarter and it's like forty thousand pounds it's like <laughs> it'd be nice but you know you ain't getting you probably ain't getting that you're certainly not getting it on your first one unless no. you know maybe you've got an incredible book and it, it just hits the right retweets and the right people see it like maybe but like i wouldn't bet on it um reasonable priced books so i think like when you see people like i mean people are doing it aren't they like you see like the indiegogo guys and they're selling a single issue of a comic for 25 dollars yeah, and like it's ridiculous that, that is wild to me like i don't know how you could do that to like like fans or whatever yeah. like, it's, it's crazy to me and you know people go well, well it works and it's like it does work but i'm i'm trying to sell like 10 issues of my book now like yeah th- no one's gonna buy 10 comics for 250 dollars like it's not or it's not yeah, even, it's, that's a ten dollars it'd be five hundred dollars like yeah it's not sustainable exactly um so i genuinely yeah the cheaper the better um like it's nice to get money but mm. why work so hard on something for no one to see it? like that that's the heartbreaking thing in it if you go to a con and you see some kid with a book and they've like fucking sweated over it and they're like oh i don't believe in digital comics because someone might pirate it and it's ten pounds it's like it's a lot of work for, for not many eyes in it. It's yeah, that's, that's the thing, man. And I kind of view it as the same as music. It's like, if, if they truly believe in it and they truly want to support you, they'll buy it because it is always people buy people. So if, like, and that's what I really like about you. You put your first issue out for free and it's still free to download on your yeah, website. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, that's, I, and yeah that, that's what I was going to say was another point is if you can do that, do that. Like, mm. I would attribute so much of our success to putting that first issue off for free because mm. it's like i said before you, you can kind of judge a comic at a glance but you can't really know mm. but like it might look great it might seem really cool but if you can read the whole first issue you've got an idea is the writing any good um is it you know ticking the boxes the things that i'm into you get a you know a bad fuller picture mm. just things like if you can read a full issue and it's not riddled with spelling mistakes and like you know some people like it's crazy to me that they don't seem to proofread their books and stuff. <laughs> and it's like, if you haven't taken the care, if, if, if you've taken the care to do it and people can see that you've taken the care to make this thing as good as you can make it, then they'll have faith in you to not fuck up the rest of it. Like, yeah. if, if, you, if you're not going to spell check your script, like, holy shit, are you going to be able to send the files to a printer and, and <laughs> not have it, like, turn up completely wrong? Like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, putting the book out for free was a big thing that I would say. And, if I could do every book for free online, I, I genuinely probably would. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, we are funding it ourselves. I do pay Luke a page rate and pay Mika a page rate. And obviously the printers and the post, so much of it just goes to postage straight away. Yeah. Like so much of it goes to postage straight away. It's wild going into the post office with like a drop and go card. I mean like, could I load a thousand pounds on that? 
And then they're just like, oh, there's an 800 pound limit. It's like, well, I'll be back tomorrow then. <laughs> um, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, but yeah, if you're an artist and if, if, if you're like one person making a book and you know, you make it in your spare time, you got a job or whatever, if you can put your first issue off for free, shit, you, you got so much of an advantage on everyone straight away. Cause it's so much easier to say, I made a comic, it's free, check it out, than it is to say, I want to make a comic and I have some money. Like, yeah. that's the difference, really. Yeah. Like, you're offering something rather than asking for something. Yeah, definitely. I've always kind of viewed this with my music where it's like, if it's digital, I don't really give a shit about the price of it because to me, it's not really real. It's yeah. like, it's just files on the ether. So I'm happy to send it to people as what's it one. That's why, like, my first EP and everything's free just because I like to be like, the only thing this is going to cost you is 17 minutes of your time. And it's a digital file anyway, so it's not going to impact me in any way, shape, or form. The physical copies are where I need to kind of recoup my costs back. And it's really interesting to see how people still hold on to that digital thing. It's even on like Comixology and like the main comic book, like digital things, where they're still trying to push the same price as a physical copy. That's this wild to me, like Comixology trying to charge you a fiver for a digital comic. Like, yeah. I assume you would make a hundred times more sales if you were charging a quid. Like, yeah. and especially something like this week, like you want to get your fan base as big as possible. Like it's better to have a hundred people paying a pound than 50 people paying a five or short. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, whatever. Like, <laughs> and you, it was the thing you see people so worried about, like on the internet, like, well, people might buy it. It's like, yeah, they might, but like, they might like it and buy your book. I don't know. Like it's yeah. not really a concern that I have. No, piracy is like a really like double edged sword because it's kind of like, yeah, people have worked on it and money's been put on the table for it and people have invested. But would you rather like it's like what you've been saying, it's would you rather put all this money and time into something and no one see it? And then if someone one person pirates it, shares it and word of mouth comes down the line, then is it kind of worth that breach of like the like piracy and copyright and things. And it's not advo- obviously not advocating piracy as a musician because it's seen what Napster and everything did to the industry back in 2000s. But their in- ineptitude and in reacting to that and seeing what was coming is almost as much of to blame as the actual thing I, itself. I mean, I, I've got like, I want like a big CD, coll- like a CD collection. I've got a big CD collection, I've got a big record collection. I've got like, I spend a lot of music, money mm. on music. Like I go to a lot of gigs go to a lot of festivals. I got into music from Napster. Like that's, yeah. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have even found out about half the bands existed mm. unless I was on the internet. Like yeah. at the time, pre, I, I, I think some of the people making this argument sometimes don't remember the world pre-internet. Yeah. Like, if you could only hear what was on the radio or see what was on the TV, you're only getting what's like getting fed to you. And when I was a kid, I was like, this is shit. And then, like, I had, like, a couple of bands. And then I was, like, on Napster, I was, like, oh, this is cool. And then you find something else, and you're, like, oh, this is cool. And then, oh, I like this kind of music, or I like this. And then, mm. before you know it, you're, like, I'm going to buy all this. I bought the same, like, I've downloaded records when I was a kid. I've bought them about fucking four times since, <laughs> like, every release they put out. Like, go and see the bands, like, 20, 30 times. Like, mm. yeah, I remember doing this. I had, like, this Dead Kennedys track that always cut out 30 seconds at the end. Because the LimeWire Cedar or whatever had cut off <laughs> being able to download it. So I had like a load of songs that just had the ends missed. So then I had to buy the records to know how the fuck the song ended. <laughs> nice. But yeah, um, like, yeah, I discovered so much stuff like that. And obviously, Spotify and stuff is, is kind of like that now. It's, yeah. It's a way for people to discover things. 
and that really I do think it, it levels like obviously it's shit that Spotify are making so much money because they're getting a little it's, it's almost like legalized piracy isn't it they're yeah. taking like a little bit of cut of every download and they're giving a little bit to the artist but mm. because they're getting a bit from everything like it all adds up to yeah. me it's like a plot from Superman 3 is it where they get the <laughs> remainder on the on yeah. the, the money um, and that's why they're making money and they should be giving that back more to the artists but the fact that you can get like anyone can just share the music and anyone can just listen to it you don't have to get it on the radio or something it's oh. got to be a big got to be a big help hasn't it that you yeah. can just send a Bandcamp link or a Spotify link and people can listen to it and see if they like it especially since you can link kind of like your page and things to Spotify now so it's like it is just another promotional discovery yeah. really as opposed to where you should really consume your music but like because I've found so many great bands from it and it's also I've found bands to not waste my time with because it's like oh these might be good and then I'll listen and I'm like oh it's okay yeah skip that one it really does um, it means your yeah, album's got to be good you can't yeah. just have like like a couple of good singles like back in the day you're like oh I like these singles and you get like the, the album and you're like oh like this shit now mm. you can listen to the whole thing and be like oh great but um, yeah it's, it's just a way to feed stuff to, mm. to, to sell like nicer items as well like I think it's probably helped vinyl sales hasn't it because yeah. you get like a nice you like the thing so you're willing to spend the money on like the nice put together yeah. item and you know you get you get gig notifications and, and mm. like you say it has a, a PR tool in it yeah. it's such that's like there's so many things you can always pull apart different parts of like mediums and things to see how people are going to consume it and there's always things you can take issue with but i think if you kind of if you're just passionate about what you're creating and you just want people to give a shit then you should just be on as many things as possible and be willing to take a bit of a hit to just keep on going and keep on creating and getting it out there it's a really weird situation everything's been pointing because it's always always a middleman making the money yeah. the artists and the uh, consumer have just this weird relationship and they're just kind of like hoovering everything up in between have you read um, have you seen Panel Syndicate no Brian K. Vaughan's digital comics thing you know, oh yeah it? I've seen so it he, but I haven't he, he put Private Eye out mm. um, on it which is brilliant and all the books on it are on a they're like kind of pay what you want so you can put like zero in or mm. you can put in you can put whatever you want in but there's just a new one launched um this weekend or last friday i haven't read it yet it's the new ed brubaker book friday oh, yeah. yeah um buy it now pay what you want i, I think that's it's great like, yeah, that's that's kind of like the the bank model because if you put in just pay what you want then yeah. you will get more of a return from the people who like care and it's such a great accessible way and it's even like i follow a few instagram comics obviously they're all free but they have a PayPal link and I'll kick in. If you like a tip kind of situation, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's so many like different mediums. It's again, because of people have been dealing with diamond and kind of ingrained in this mentality, there's so many different ways to break in and create something and get it out there without having to follow what's been before. Too, too many people worry about the industry side of things yeah. and like the, the, the industry model as it currently stands rather than thinking about all the way around it. Like I think I read... Um, oh, can't remember who it was that someone was writing like the, the realities of like um, an image book and it was like they were getting like five cents on the cover price or something mm. for the creative team and it's like that's terrible dude yeah. like if you if you kickstarted that and just sent it out yourself you would get a lot more and need yeah. to make a lot less sales 
to get the same kind of amount of money. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, obviously, you're getting the uh, you're getting the shelf space and and the kind of brand awareness for your name. But at that point, like, it's not. It's wild. No, it does. It doesn't make sense, especially with like these creative teams. Like, if Rob Kirkman and Jason Latour did like kickstarted the next trade of Southern Bastards, could you imagine? They'd make like, so much, like, like not only money, but they'd get such a bigger audience because worrying about shelf space is crazy in this day and age for physical shops. Yeah, and I mean, like, I know people at that kind of level would be like, "Well, I, I, I've got better things to do than pack up like twenty thousand packages," but like. You could just get someone else to do it. Yeah. Like, and and you could just factor that into it that you you're gonna pay a couple of staff members to yeah. just fire books out, and like, sounds like my time's virtually worthless, so I've got no problem sitting there packing books up. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's crazy to me. Like, if it was the option between selling thousands and getting five cents, and everyone else is kind of looked after, and this way where we kind of just send this stuff directly out mm. covering our costs and I can pay Luke and I can pay Mika then it just makes more sense to do it that way to me I think there's got to be like there must be like a level that you get to when it's it's not viable anymore and you have to you know make that huge jump up to, to mm. use the kind of dime distribution but I reckon I could deal with a thousand two thousand easy yeah yeah easy. I think Especially like with this day and age, and like you've got like Postmates and all these other ways of like getting things out to people. Distribution companies aren't what they like, what they need to be or what they have to be anymore. Like, there's so many ways around things in this day and age. I think the big thing that they is the is the international stuff. Yeah. So like, definitely, like if Diamond, you know, the kind of to get your books on a boat and they, they take them across like kind of freight, which is something that maybe you could sort yourself yeah. maybe it's impossible I don't know I haven't looked into it and then have it kind of distributed from the US that'd probably save you like a fortune like when we did the um, the Merrick Dr. Crow mm. uh, crossover I wrote it with Corey Corey Freire who is the Dr. Crow creator and what we did was we printed it over here um, I sent half the books over in just one one kind of courier ship package and then he distributed them and that saved saved the fortune yeah. so like I could definitely see the kind of advantages of having um, like a, a depot in each region, like, and yeah. that's something I, I'd be think think about looking into. Like, maybe even I've considered getting a, like a cheap flight to America and just taking a suitcase full of books and then send them out separately when I get there. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. um, when you send out packages and it's like 10, 15, 20 quid to send some books to America, like I can fly to New York for like two hundred quid. Yeah. Like yeah, I could exactly. easily take, I could easily take ten <laughs> packages with me, and then you know post them when I get there. Like yeah. yeah, it's like even with like music, I've seen a few different people who have been like touring and things, and they'll have like whoever their tour manager or whatever for the UK, they'll just give all their merch to them, and then be like, okay, now we've got a UK store, and they'll do yeah. the same in Europe and stuff, and it makes so much sense. But I don't think people kind of plan that far ahead or anticipate that level of demand. But even just having that in your back pocket's super helpful. I think that will probably start popping up with more people going to crowdfunding and, and them getting bigger. I think there probably will. I know in America there was a few distributors, weren't there, and there were printers that were, were handling that kind of thing. Mm. We're cracking print doing that, but they went under like last year. I think so. But I'm sure there was a few people and starting to look into it where you'd just be like, okay, we'll deal with your entire kind of fulfillment of your Kickstarter 
um, obviously for a cut, which is mm. either reasonable or not reasonable, depending on yeah, whether you can do it or, yeah. or you can't do it. But I think other people might start popping up because you see some of, the, some of them are huge now. Some Kickstarters just like, especially more and more um, like established people, like Todd McFarlane's doing like a new Spawn figure, isn't mm. he? And he's like blown past a million. Like, like once Todd's on there, like anyone, anyone could yeah. be on there doing books and needs like a European European distribution or Australian distribution, mm. American distribution. And uh, I think that definitely opportunity for people to kind of do that thing. Mm. Like if someone in America had a huge Kickstarter and contacted me and were like, oh, would you print it and post it out? I'd be like, yeah, sounds. Like, yeah, I've like, offered that because like, who I used to do my T-shirt printing stuff, a few bands I know do. And he's just based in Liverpool. And I've just said to these American bands, look, if you get a hundred of these t-shirts printed and sold, I'll happily post them out because it's all just like, it's still getting out there and it's still helping these like creators and stuff. Keep on keeping on. But this reminds me, and I'm glad we segued into international is you have somehow managed to transcend all borders and all areas with their comic cons by doing the kitchen con. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That's one way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just I couldn't be asked doing cons, so I just yeah. thought it'd be funny to do them in my kitchen, um, and like it's it's kind of crazy how big it's kind of grown. Like you did the last one, mm. uh, like we had like twenty people did the last one. Mm. Like it, it was really interesting, world because again, I always like people who think outside the box and kind of anticipate what's happening. And you nailed it with the kitchen con because you did it obviously before the pandemic hit, and you were doing this. Yeah, I've done it for like a year. Yeah. yeah. So then this hit and a few people have been like, Ooh, maybe we should do an online comic con. And I was just kind of like looking at you as like this trailblazer who then was like, well, we've been like, it's been happening. Before. <laughs> I felt and forced to the um, to do the last couple. Cause like, <laughs> obviously I was doing it and the people like, oh, there's a pandemic, all the cons are closed. Are you going to do one? Are you going to do one? I was like, yeah, yeah, I suppose so. And other people are doing it. Other people start doing it. You've got to do one. I was like, okay, we'll, we'll do another one. Um, so with the yeah. first, like with the first one, was it, like, but just out of like it's kind of like tiredness of doing comic conventions that you decided to do that. It was just, yeah, it just. I think it was the same weekend as an MCM, and like <laughs> I was just. I think someone said, "Are you going?" I was like, "Rob, be in my kitchen, mate." Um, and so I was like, "Would it be funny to set up like my stuff and just like live stream it?" And I, I was kind of going for like a proper caregiver enthusiasm, like cringe fest <laughs> for the first one of just me like just staring into the camera, just being like, "Oh god, this is awful." Um. But yeah, it's it's quite fun. It's quite funny, and um, I do kind of like that because, uh, like, what when people pe- people are just like, oh, we need to get more people into comics. We need to get more new people into comics, and then I just find it's such a barrier to entry, especially mm. like monetary. Yeah, and it's like you want to get more people to comics, but you're charging like twenty quid to get into your convention or something. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's wild. And yeah. I really like the lakes, the lakes um, International Comic Art Festival, just because you can go to the, uh, the comic clock tower mm. and, and go around and see the exhibitors for free. Cause like, yeah, that's I'd so rather cool. pay more for a table and have it free for like, that's such like an invaluable kind of thing to have like a free entry thing. Cause that's what Oldham comic con did. Yeah. That's br- Oldham comic cons. Like that's exactly what you need. Like, mm. cause otherwise you just get the same people who know they're into it mm. and they're coming in. And like, yeah, you, you want to get the people who don't know they're into it and they want to have a, have a try and, see what it's all about and yeah and that's the good thing about the kitchen con and these online conventions is you know there's so many overheads and not just creating the comic but then tabling can be from like 
sixty pounds to eighty pounds of ridiculous money for the MCMs. I think what what's football now? That's like 100, 130, 140 or something. Like yeah. that's if you're selling your comics at like three pounds, five for a pop, yeah. three quid a pop. It's a it's a lot of comics to sell before you even. Before you've even broken even, that's before you even talking about travel, yeah, accommodation. Hotel, yeah. The fact that you printed those comics, so like 20 to 30% of what you're selling for, you probably paid to make it. Mm. And then the time and effort you put into it, it just, uh, yeah, it just, it's constantly started feeling like a zero sum game to me. That's what I was thinking. I was talking to John and Deck about it because we were doing a few when we went hard, I think it was 2018, and we went to a load. And it was even, we only had two issues of like an anthology out. So they weren't selling great. And it's just, why are we sinking so much time into it? Because it's just like a money sink. And that is money that you could then be putting towards creating the next project. And then with the kitchen con and the online comic, every comic you sell is then pure profit. Exactly. And it's only taking an hour out of your day. Like cons are so time intensive Mm -hmm. that like, even if you make money, when you think about how much time you put into it, it's like, shit, man. Like, I could have just given this book away for free mm. and gone and done a shift in, a, in, in like, a, a bar or something, and I'd, I've moved more comics and got more money. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and that's what the, what the thinking behind it was. Um, like, yeah, if I sold one book at the Kitchen Con, that was, like, the equivalent of selling, like, 30 books at mm. Natural Con and taking me an hour out of my day. And also, I thought it was funny. And I yeah. still think it's quite funny. Yeah, man, it's uh, so good. Um, but it's nice to see other people getting involved. And I think that's the other thing. Like, it's free for everyone. So, like, yeah. the exhib- exhibitors don't have to pay anything. So there's nothing off their pocket. All the people can just come and watch. And I think we've done, like, four now. And I haven't got through watching all the four ones because, like, it's, like, 20 hours of stuff to watch. <laughs> but um, I think people who, who are kind of... I don't know what's the way like people who are coming as like customers say let's say customers mm. or or not not exhibitors they're starting to get more involved and starting to ask more questions yeah. and stuff and that that's great and that's one of the big things about conventions it's, it's adding to the community elements of it yeah and, and it, it's letting you connect with people and seeing people who've done it and like maybe you're interested in doing it and you can kind of pick the brains a bit mm. and ask them some questions because like what can you do at cons? You can like you can sell books, you can talk to people, and like you can network and you, you can do all that on the internet. Like yeah, I understand like back in the day before the internet, like um, portfolio reviews. That's, that's a that's a huge, mm. hugely cool thing to be able to do and be able to talk to creators. But like you don't have to pay entries to do that now. No. Like, if someone's willing to give up an hour at a time, you can you can just talk to them. You can you know you can buy a book off someone. Like if you go. To, like it just it makes it better for everyone as far as yeah. I'm concerned. As I can it, see, yeah, it's just leveling the playing field again, and it's the people who are willing to put an hour down and just sit in front of it. I think I did twenty minutes because my phone kept like crashed like three times. I was just yeah. like, like I don't know what was happening. I've just had like a bad technical week for like the last three. Like, well, I've had a technical month, but the Twitter crashed, and I was just like, I can't do this. And I knew John was live streaming and doing his thing, so I was like, I'm just gonna like watch other people's videos for this now but it is it's a nice little engaging thing that people can get behind and i think at the moment the music live streams are so saturated that you can't <laughs> everyone's got an acoustic guitar and they're doing like covers aren't they and yeah. it's just like 
Oof. Yeah. So the way that other mediums are bringing this in and doing like comic conventions online and things, it's such a great way to bring out the diversity of what you can do and promote yourself. I really like um, about the kitchen con is like it's it's kind of really bringing out like like a lot of creativity out of people as well. Like at, at a regular convention, everything you know you can have your kind of your own flavor at your table, but it is very regimented. Like table, yeah. black tablecloth, table, mm-hmm. black tablecloth. Like to see. And Gav and um, Emily doing the kitchen con nights where Gav's in like a fucking tux and Emily's got like a ball gown on and they've got like a disco light and like Italian disco playing mm. while they're drawing, talking about their comics or like Joe Glass's one um, from Kitchen Con Four that I watched last night and he's he's got all this like face glitter stuff on and like just this in- <laughs> like this insane glittery top and a big feathery coat. It looks like he's in like the BBC broom cupboard from like CBBC or whatever. Like, um, and the other one, Mika, who letters uh, Merrick, he did one and it is set up. It's it huge. It was like, it, it, it's giving you a chance to play with different things and, yeah. and really get like your personality and kind of like you, you make your comics and you make your book and you put that out there. But like so much of it as well is like the personality of the kind of creator. Mm. And if people can kind of see that and they go, oh, like, this is this is my kind of vibe. Like, yeah, I feel like I'm, we're on the same page. And like, obviously, not everyone's for everyone. But if you if you can connect with someone and be like, I'm gonna check their stuff out. Like, they seem like they're on the same kind of wavelength as me. Like, it's it's cool, isn't it? It's like mm-hmm. it's, it's giving everyone an opportunity to do something. Yeah, it's so much fun, and I think it's just like that's why I'm truly like about the comic scene. Obviously, I was saying on the live stream it's like i spend zero amount of time at the con the second john sits down i'm like just let me know when you need to piss and i just go off and like <laughs> travel it around and it's just it's so nice to network and meet people who are passionate about it and creating things like i i, I love comics i haven't read like, i'm so far behind on what to actually read like my to read piles massive at the moment and it's just i'm looking forward to being able to take some time out to actually get behind and like read some books it's a good time for it yeah it is i've got um the new saga volume i need to re i need to reread saga and then read the third hardcover i've got wicked and divine and i've got a few indie things to read as well all of them i think <laughs> unless there's a is the the wicked and divine's finished hasn't it wicked and divine finished i've only got the first hardcover so i need to get the others i might so I'll go through those I think I've, yeah, I finished it. I finished it. Yeah. Is it good? Yeah. I don't, I don't want to give, I don't want to give anything away. Yeah. Like I don't want to ruin it for you. No, it's yeah. good. It's yeah. good. Um, it gets a bit like, there was some of it. I didn't gel with me that much. Like there's, hmm. it's like an issue where they get the kind of Kieran and not get their mates to write like, or like get his mates like interview him as he's the characters. Hmm. which is kind of fun but like if i read it again i'd probably skip over it yeah it's a fun little meta thing is there there anything you're reading at the moment or anything um i've just finished uh reading the invisibles by grant morrison Mm. all three volumes of that which is pretty heavy so um i had a little break from comics and i'm reading um jonathan strange and mr norrell you ever heard of that no it's a, it's a hefty, hefty kind of novel. Really? Um, it's really good, though. It's got a really nice writing style. Let's see who is it by. 
there was a BBC adaption ages ago mm. of these two like magicians. Um, it's a novel by Susanna Clarke, oh. Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Uh, yeah, it's really good. It's an alternative history set in 19th century England around the times of the Napoleonic Wars. Oh. Uh, its premise is that magic once existed in England and has returned with two men, Gilbert Norrell and Jonathan Strange. But yeah, that's like a like a thousand page book. So oh, really, um, yeah, I'll be working my way through that. And I think mm. I've actually got up to date with all my comics. Mm. I was a. I recently read Man in the High Castle because I'd watched a bit of the TV show, so I got the book for Christmas and I read that. And that's for what it is and the premise of it. It's a really quick book. I think I finished yeah. like two flights. I'm well. I'm, I'm up for a bit of that. I want to watch the TV show. It looks yeah. cool. Yeah, but um, I've, I've been reading more like nonfiction stuff at the moment and been like dead, just like thinking because it was after the election I bought a Blueprint for Revolution by the same Serbian. Um, protester and that's a really interesting book and utopia for realists but i do want to get back into the fiction kind of things have you read stoner by john williams no it's like this author and like he died before that book kind of found its stride and yeah. it's, it's such a great book when nothing really happens it's just like a mundane tragedy but i finished it on a plane to belgium and you know when you don't want to cry in public <laughs> so you sat, <laughs> sat, sat on the plane just kind of yeah I just waited I was basically the last person to leave because I was just getting my shit together we're trying to like finish this book <laughs> that was a really like great one and it's just there's so many there's so many books out there now that are so good that I always worry I'm never going to be able to like finish them or even read yeah. them in the first place I've, I've had like an, an insane kind of reading list of comics and books and uh, it's only just starting to feel like it's it's getting under control. Mm. But yeah, um, this this thousand page Jonathan Strange is a uh, is really knocking me back a bit because I was getting through them and getting through them, and now it's like, oh, this is you know actually <laughs> got to put some work into it. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed The Invisibles by Grant Morrison. Mm. Um, it's quite heavy. Uh, I don't know whether I knew exactly what was going on all the way through it. Probably would read it again. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's good. Yeah, um, I've got a few Kickstarter comics coming through. Uh, Umar Dither's lad. Yeah, I've heard really through. About that. The thing is, I've been so skint for the last like few months. I've not been able to back anything for a while. Yeah, so, I was like that for like the last year or so. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just kind of getting back into it now. Yeah, so I'm dreading whenever the next actual convention is at Thought Bubble or wherever to start picking some actual books up again. I don't think I don't think thought, I don't think anything's gonna happen this year. No, I think, I think next year. Same. I think there's gonna be a. Pretty much because I've got a few gigs that I'm meant to be booked in for September, and it's kind of like, is it gonna happen? Though someone asked me if I wanted to do a festival in May, and I was like, no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just got offered the gig in December, and like, I don't know, I can't, can't maybe it'll happen, like, yeah, yeah, but it's at the moment, I'm like, hopefully, like, if you can't have a vaccine on the weekend, yeah. It's a shame, isn't it? Like, there's, I've, I've so many gigs and festivals and stuff cancelled now. It's um, mm. it's great. There's, I've got a festival in um, in July, and they've still not cancelled it. And it's like, really? come on, come on, guys! Like, yeah. <laughs> we both know this isn't happening. Yeah, um, I've, got, I've got tickets to see Ramstein in June, and everything else in June's cancelled. But Ramstein are just holding strong, and it's just like, come on, guys! And Bloodstock's meant to be in August, and that's still going ahead at the moment. Yeah, I think a lot of them have got to wait for like insurance policy to kick in and they probably. Sort of probably have to wait until it's like within a certain period of time and then they can cancel it but it's just yeah. 
shitting it for everyone. It is, man. So what's kind of on the horizon now? So the Merrick Kickstarter's got, is it 52 hours you've got left? It finishes on Saturday. Saturday night, 8 o'clock, yeah, 52 hours to go. Yeah. £5,349, pretty good. Nice. That's pretty so one, good. Yeah, so once that's kickstarted, obviously it'll go to print and then it'll be posted and that'll take a while. So what's in... That should be, should be pretty fast. Really? Um, yeah, the, the art's completely finished for mm. um, the next issue. Um, the letters have been with Mika for like a week and a half. So I would kind of hope they'd be back before the campaign's finished and we'll have all the file finished. So hopefully, fingers crossed, as soon as the money drops in the account, straight to the printers. Awesome. Um, get that one printed. I would hope at that point, Luke would probably have some of the art done for 10 because we've got like a nice kind of like head start now. Mm. So I think unless the lockdown gets heavier and the post office closes down, I think everything will be out like easily like this year, easily. Mm. Um, but yeah, they shouldn't, I don't, I can't foresee any problems. Like no. all the scripts finished. Luke's like, we got into like a really nice flow now. Like it used to take us quite a while to, to do issues, but like I think the more he's drawn the characters and like gets to yeah. know them, it becomes more like, it becomes easier, doesn't it? Mm. It's, it's like, you, you got like the, you flex those kind of, yeah, like, muscles already yeah. you get straight back into it and obviously every time there's like new characters and stuff there's like like a bit of design work and, and, and getting to grips with them but with the kind of regular cast it's just mm. like you get it down now like it's it's really good to see us get like a nice bit of momentum because we stopped for a while just like stuff came up and, and whatnot but I, I'd really like to kind of maybe even get like a regular quarterly release schedule and actually really? I mean it's a bit ambitious, but <laughs> and like that would be nice. Do you consciously do you like leave time between Kickstarters to try and give people a break, or is that just the way that like life happens and everything? It's more just like life, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just I've had stuff on and not finished the scripts. Or to be honest with you, sometimes when I've got stuff on, it helps me finish the scripts because <laughs> like I've got so much to concentrate. Otherwise, that like it's a real pressure to like right get this done and. It, I don't know, some of the some of the best stuff I've done has been like, you know, forced to sit there, like I've got mm. to do this now and get it done. Um but yeah, I I, I kinda because we do the arcs and we send the books out, it's like almost like people are kind of jumping on like a little bit of a subscription yeah. kind of thing. So it's almost like they back it and then I like to think they kind of forget about it and then they get like a little a little yeah. comment coming through the post and then like a couple months later they get like another little comment through the post and like oh I forgot about this and you know hopefully like people are like oh I'm looking forward to this and yeah. you know it comes through because it is one of the nicest bits is when you know stuff arrives and people are like take a little picture of the book and tweet it to you and yeah. like oh, got this looking forward to this like I really like this like that's that's one of the best bits isn't it yeah where like, people are like taking the time out to be like oh this is something I've actually been looking forward yeah, to yeah like yeah I really like that um, and it would be nice to like yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to get a bit of a head start on the script. So I would hope by the time um, issue 11 gets out, mm. that we'll, we'll probably have something ready to kind of get back back on it. Um, but we want to do the volume two trade paperback as well. Mm. So that'll be a Kickstarter, uh, an opportunity for people who, who kind of wait for the trade paperback or prefer like the comics that way, which is sound, yeah, it's fine. Um, so that'll be fun to have a second book. Mm. as well and then um, I've actually written like a full little mini series for like a like another spin-off like in the Merrick world yeah um, that I'd like to do next maybe 
I just got dead excited about it and just worked on that, finished it instead of what I should have been doing. <laughs> um, so I just need to finish, finish editing that, and that's like three or four issues. Mm. Um, like, it's hard to explain. It's like, you know, back in the day when they had like the seances and stuff, mm. like, and it was a big thing, and um, there was a lot of like, there was like a lot of women who, who did this thing when it was like they could manifest like ectoplasm was like one of the big seance tricks mm. and it was it was often they they they'd like i think some of it was like they eat tights and stuff and then like throw them up and like it is yeah it's pretty grim um I, I was reading a book um about the life of uh of houdini mm. um it's it's here actually it's got all my notes in it so um masters of mystery um the strange friendship of arthur conan doyle and harry houdini mm. like this is such a such a, a good book. Like it's such an entertaining story to know that it's it's some of the best stories are real, aren't they? Like, yeah, that's it's, a great story. It can. It's weird how the timeline is like it happens because you kind of associate all these like historical figures as being separate from themselves. But yeah, Arthur Conan Doyle and H.P. Lovecraft did kind of like fan fiction of each other, and then Lovecraft did a story about Houdini, but then Houdini was like one of the, like Conan Doyle. He, go- he, he ghost wrote it, didn't he? For yeah. Houdini. Um, but yeah, Houdini had a friendship slash like they were kind of frenemies, I guess, mm. with Conan Doyle because like Conan Doyle like kind of went off the deep end and like got really into like spiritualism and mm. um, his his dad I didn't know was actually in an asylum. His dad was like obsessed with like fairies and shit. Really? And yeah, and he he'd done all these paintings and written this book about like fairy abductions and like a, like a fairy world and like obviously um that was wild and then um houdini was just like you know he was an escape artist and an illusionist and a very smart dude and he got really interested in this kind of idea of like life beyond death and mm. all this kind of stuff and started investigating it and he was just like yeah i've seen all these tricks in the circus like this this is not real. Like this is bullshit. <laughs> it's it's really fucking amateurish, actually. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and Houdini, um, Conan Doyle kept trying to convince him. He's like, no, this is this one's real. This one's real. <laughs> and Houdini be like, is it? And at first they're like friends, but like as you go through this book, it's great. Like get towards the end, like they kind of hate each other because like <laughs> like they just like <laughs> like Conan Doyle just really wants it to be real and who and he wants Houdini <laughs> to admit that it's real. And Houdini's like, it's it's not real. Like I could do all these tricks. And just the the characters that they get involved with and this the people running the seances and the mediums, mm. it's just crazy. But anyway, one of the big things was it was this manifesting ectoplasm. So I've got a comic by character who kind of does that and it becomes like a Victorian space adventure. Oh yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's it's wild. Like it's uh, it's, it's cool. Like I'm I'm looking forward to doing that. I'd like to do that next, mm. um, and kind of expand what we're doing because we've done kind of a few little spin-offs. And, yeah, like, that's so cool. Like different things. Like I, I like I like what you guys do because it's gr- it's still grounded in these people did exist. At yeah, one point and it's it's grounded and but it's taking like poetic license and liberties with things, but it's still got that real world weight to things. And I think especially there's so many historical things that are just batshit crazy like i'd love to see a mockumentary of harry houdini and conan doyle doing like a most haunted type deal it, that's exactly like what they were doing like <laughs> it, I, I can't like read that book it's so good there's so many great 
bits in it. Like, um, there's this this society like of current all gets involved with that are like um, they're, they're trying to prove people like prize money to like prove that like the afterlife exists and, and mm. they go around and um, like they go around this one medium and they're, like they're convinced that like she's legit, she's legit. And then Houdini turns up and he's like, she she's naked and clearly sleeping with you all. Like you're just saying she's legit. <laughs> like, like he's like, what what is wrong with you people? Like it's it's it, it's honestly hilarious. It's like one of the most entertaining things I've read in ages. Um, I would definitely recommend checking it out because the, their dynamic is just brilliant. Oh, I'm gonna have to read that. That sounds so fun. Yeah, legend. How like I want to get Houdini in the comic at some point, but I just kind of <laughs> need the timeline to line. Try to up. work out. Yeah. That's so cool. And like, did Houdini, he, was he, he died trying to do an escape, wasn't he? Um, he got punched in the stomach. Mm. Um, again, this book gets, kind of gets into like, there's like conspiracy theorists that these spiritualists sent this dude to like, to rough him up. Um, cause he, he said he couldn't ever be winded cause he had such like core strength. Mm. So this guy who was like an amateur boxer or something just kind of comes into his room, punches him. And it's like, oh, sorry, and gets off. And uh, he had like internal, internal injuries that kind of killed him. Yeah, it's wild. Um, but he had like a deal with his wife as well. Like he gave his wife like a like a secret like password because mm. um, he was like, all these people are going to try and contact me and say they contacted me from beyond the grave um, and use it as evidence that like I was wrong in life. Fucking hell! So he's like, I'm going to give you this password, and like every day. Um, sorry, every year on his birthday, she'd do a seance and try to contact him. <laughs> like, it's, it's the whole thing's just, it's insane. It's great. It's wild, man. It's really good. It's really, really good. Definitely, if you get a chance to check it out, do it. Yeah. It's so but, entertaining. Oh, that's definitely something I'll need to be reading. So for 2020, you've got the Kickstarter ending soon. Is, do you reckon you'll do another Kickstarter for 2020? I, I hope we'd be able to do one more merit thing, whether that's, either the next paperback or mm. the next story arc or this other thing, which is it's called Cosmic Lantern, but we'll have to see whether... <laughs> Get a cease and desist. Um, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, we'll have to see. Um, and then I've actually I've been writing something else for uh, Johnny Cannon, who does The United. Mm. Um, so... We'll see if that happens or what goes on with that. But that yeah. is kind of very different. That's kind of like a um, like a council estate noir thing, mm-hmm. like Green Room or Blue Ruin or Dead oh, Man's Shoes. Green. Oh, Green Dead Man's Shoes and Green Room is so fucking good. Yeah, and um, so it's that or oh, Winter's Bone as well. That's, that's like all the kind of thing, but like in a Northwest England kind of kind of vibe, um, like proper. I wanted to lean into not doing american stuff do you know what i mean yeah. that's like, what i really i really like about like that's kind of like 2018 like you and stuff it's like british creators doing british projects which sounds like a horrific slogan for people yeah like british creators doing british stuff. but it's always like with dead man's shoes there's a weight when you can see them going through a council estate where it just seems like more real yeah like it's almost like not leaning into like the Americanisms rather than yeah. doing the, the British thing for, for it, it's cause you can re- you relate to it cause you've lived it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, it like I wonder if that stuff translates like badly to like Americans cause mm. they just like 
it's a very different way of life and yeah. a different, a very different vibe. And I don't know, I think stuff gets so homogenized. I don't know whether people like realize that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not the same. Like, mm. although there's so many similarities, we speak the same language and we get a lot of the same stuff and we do a lot of this, mm. you know stuff a lot the same way. It's still very different. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'd both hate to, I'd like hate and I'd also love to see a Dead Man's Shoes remake in the States and see what they actually did with it. Yeah, because the probably, story itself is phenomenal. I'd like to see how they translated it across. Yeah. It might turn into like, remember when they did Shameless and, <laughs> and they, didn't, they didn't just didn't quite get it. And it was like, oh, aren't they they're nice and lovable? And it's like, not really. They're terrible. Like they're supposed to be terrible. Like yeah. <laughs> everyone knows these people that are like that. Literally, are like that. It's not really comedy. It's just how it is. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. They try and keep it like heartwarming, don't they? And yeah, they always need that like tearjerker moment at the end. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I like the idea of not trying to lean into writing all stuff in America because it's you know bigger market or whatever. Yeah. Like keep it kind of kind of grounded to personal experiences and stuff. Yeah, that that's what, sense? that's definitely. And I think that's kind of like with my kind of music's more like American, Americanized, obviously it's country music and stuff. There's a lot of things that I'll just like flat out, like avoid. Like I hate when yeah, like, yeah. British artists are talking about riding a highway and you're like, mm, it's a motorway lad. Like, I've seen you post down. about this before. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you, you don't want it. You gotta do it with like a level of like sincerity to like mm. what your situation is, not leaning into like the cliches that have got yeah. no bearing on on your experience, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. But we're wrapping up, and I think we'll call this time because I don't want to keep you too long. You've got a Kickstarter to promote that you do so well on Twitter. Thanks, thanks. I need to need to push a little bit harder. Like we've done really well considering there's the pandemic. We're not kind of hit our normal numbers for backers mm. but you know that's to be expected and um, I'm hoping like people kind of will you know when this is all over and people are sorted out and mm. they've gone back to work and stuff that the store will kind of pick up the slack or you know people will pick the books up next yeah. time so I'm just glad that we, we can make some comics like yeah that's the main thing at that's the, the main the thing yeah, yeah exactly um, uh, yeah we got some new books out it's cool like, we got to issue 10 it's cool yeah. like I didn't think that would happen. Yeah, like, that's so good. Because even like I've just made like one book and like or like two books, and then it's like, oh, yeah, it's hard, this, man. Yeah. This is actually a thing that's happening. Like the level of pride you get from creating that thing. So you guys must just be on like another level with it. It's so cool. It's, yeah, it's a bit of a weird one. Like it does feel like just feel not real a bit at times. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Um, I'm just being really happy if I was come out. Like, just yeah, wouldn't wouldn't really change anything that we've um, done. Like, I'm just yeah. really happy with, with our output. And when I, when you look at it, it all stacked up, I mean, that's like, that, that's our... That's a chunk, That's, con- that's, a, that's, a that's so books, good. Like. It's cool, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, it means you've got to have a room like this. <laughs> that's so yeah, many that's shelves. The, that's the stock room, like, yeah. I don't know if you can see that. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be like... The next month or so, it's going to be very much like a, a production line in my back room, like envelopes, bags, boards, addresses. Yeah. Yeah. I've got this pre-order and I've been getting 300 vinyl and 300 CD sends out to me. And I'm trying to still work out how many 300 vinyls is to like yeah. count like what my collection is to be like, is this that amount or is it going to be bigger or 
what the fuck, <laughs> where it's going to be a speed. Uh, I, rem- I remember when we got our um, our first trade papers back delivered and we got 1,500. <laughs> and like the guy just dumped a pallet outside and I was like, oh shit, what have I done? Like, <laughs> like that's a lot of books. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's cool. Yeah. It's cool. Are you, um, are you selling your vinyl through the Bandcamp this, is it Friday with the yeah, no Bank, fees? Yeah, Bandcamp is waiving all fees. It's doing it for a fair few months, I think. Um, it's doing it every other, like, I think it's one Friday a month for the foreseeable months. So they're waiving all fees. So I've got a white gateful vinyl with a, a Ouija board that deck designed. Awesome. Yeah, I'll try and contact Houdini through it. Should do, but you don't know the <laughs> password, so uh, you'll never be sure. <laughs> yeah. But I'm going to leave you to it, man. Thank you so much for uh, chatting yeah, to us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well done on America. It's so fucking good. As a fan as well from reading the book, it's such a fucking cool thing to do. But, Thank you yeah, very man, much. Keep going. It's wild, isn't it? Yeah, cool. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> right? Nice right. to see you. Nice Take to care. talk to you. Yeah. yeah, in a bit. Take Thanks. it easy. And there you have it, folks. That's episode six of Into the Van in the Bag. Thank you so much for listening. You know, this is always not something I take for granted that people listen to me. And, you know, spare an hour out of the day, that's truly something that matters to me. As a musician, I'm always thankful when people spend, you know, three minutes listening to one of my songs. So for someone to take an hour out of their day to listen to me and my mates have a ramble is truly something we can't thank you enough for. If you want to support Tom Ward and his brilliant comic Merrick, the Sensational Elephant Man, you can go to merrickcomic.co.uk, M-E-R-R-I-C-K, comic.co.uk Merrick comic and you can pick up the digital first issue completely free and hopefully that is enough of a tease for you to pick up the rest of the issues he's got paperbacks individual issues and it's definitely worth your time to check out I also hope you know if you want to you can pre-order the next life which is my upcoming record and you know tell your friends about this podcast tell your friends about me tell your friends about Tom because word of mouth to me is still the most important thing you can see sponsored adverts on Facebook or you can have, you know, a radio show promoting artists. But how many times has that actually affected you and made you listen to an artist more than a friend you know or like or trust saying, hey, have you checked out this guy? You always check out what your friends say, or at least I do anyway, because, you know, if they're friends with me, they must have good taste. <laughs> so, you know, they recommend me bands. I recommend them. We always recommend films books whatever word of mouth is still the most important thing so tell your friends into the van we've got episode seven in two weeks time and thanks so much for listening stay safe guys peace